Anyway, man, I, I, again, I'm glad you're here. It's good to see everybody this morning. We're going to continue our study that we've been in that's based out of Luke chapter 4. And man, this has just been a, a powerful, powerful passage to me. I hope the Lord has been speaking to you through it. If you've missed some of them, we're, we're continuing to progress more and more as making some of these messages more accessible. We've, we actually are on Spotify and streaming platforms now with just a couple messages. Um, and so, but we're, we're working to getting them all on there. So we're, we're, getting, we're getting there. So anyway, um, but if you've missed it, man, we're, try to go back and listen if you would and just, and just see if the Lord doesn't speak to you through some of the, some of the things in Luke chapter 4, because we've seen that in Luke chapter 4, there's something pretty incredible that happens in this passage. Because in Luke chapter 4, we have recorded for us, this is the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. And and what happens is, is Jesus, he comes into his home church, and they're going to have Jesus share with everybody, not knowing who he is. And he opens up the scroll, and he, he gets to what we know as Isaiah 61. There weren't chapter and verse markings in that day, but we now know it as Isaiah chapter 61. And he begins to quote Isaiah 61 in Luke 4.18. And, and, and this is what he says in Luke 4.18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, and to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And, and after that, Jesus closed the book or, or, or rolled up the scroll, and he, he sat down in a place of authority, and he said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And, and, and so what we found is that Jesus lays out the itinerary for his earthly ministry in this passage. He tells us where this thing is headed, and then we find in the Gospels that that's exactly what he did. He did exactly what he said he'd do. And so we've been asking ourselves in this study, what if Jesus wouldn't have come in the first century and he came in the 21st century? What, who would these people be that he's ministering to? Because that body of Christ in the person of Jesus Christ ascended back into heaven and now we're here as the body of christ so our ministry should look like his ministry our ministry should be what we're calling a parallel paradigm to the ministry of jesus just like two parallel lines headed in the same direction accomplishing the same thing ending up in the same place only separated by space our ministry should head in the same direction, accomplish the same things, and end up in the same place as Jesus' ministry, only separated by time. He did it then, we're to do it now. And so now this morning, we're going to be talking about the captives in our day and time. And, and man, this is, this, is a, this is a heavy one. It, you know, it, just like the, the captives in the first century when Jesus was here and and he ministered and he preached deliverance to those captives. Now he has this body of Christ here in the 21st century. And through this body of Christ, what he intends to do is preach deliverance to the captives. 
And, and so what we've been doing each week is we've approached this passage in, in Luke 4, and we're saying, how can we have a ministry that's a parallel paradigm to these groups of people? And so we've looked at each of these groups of, of people, or we're looking at each of these groups of people in this passage that are mentioned, and we've followed the same outline each week, and we're going to follow that same outline this week, and we've started in the same place. Each week we've, we've started with the heart. We, we've talked about getting a heart for these people. The, the heart of the issue is the issue of the heart. But the last two weeks were a little easier, right? We talked about the poor. We kind of know who they are. We, we talked about the brokenhearted. We kind of know who they are, but we, but we went into a study of those. But today we're going to be talking about the captives. And I think sometimes maybe we, maybe we lose sight of who the captives really are and just how far-reaching this thing of being a captive actually is. And again, with following the same outline in this message as the last two, we want to catch God's heart for the captives. But, but before we do that, I want to, number one, make a 21st century identification of the captives. First, today I want to make a 21st century identification of the captives. And, we, and we've done that the last two messages as well, but this week we're going to do it in a different order. This week I want to see this I want us to see this first this week. And this answers the question who? Who is to be the focus of our ministry? Jesus came to this planet y'all and he knew exactly who his audience was going to be when he laid that thing out for us. Like we saw the last couple weeks he focused on the poor of this world. He focused on the brokenhearted of this world. And he focused on the captives. And as we begin talking about the captives this morning, I'd, I'd like to, to share with you a quote. And this is a quote. It's from a guy who's he's considered a church father. His name is, is Cyprian. And he wrote this to his friend in North Africa. It was another church father named Donatus. And this is what he writes to him. And I, I think you have this in your notes. Cyprian writes, this seems a cheerful world, Donatus, when, when I view it from this fair garden, or, or as I sit in my comfortable little world. Seems like a cheerful world, Donatus, when I view it from this fair garden under the shadow of these vines. But if I climbed some great mountain and looked out over the wide lands, you know very well what I would see. Brigands or, or bandits on the high roads, pirates on the seas, in the amphitheaters, men murdered to please applauding crowds, under all roofs, misery and selfishness. It is really a bad world, Donatus, an incredibly bad world. And, and, and so for the next few minutes i can we just step out of the of the fair garden of our suburban georgia lifestyles and and will you go up with me to the mountaintop and and look at what what's going on and what was just described as an incredibly bad world you, you know i could i could describe an example of modern day 
captives, and, and certainly there's more than one type. But instead of describing them today, I, I'd, I'd, like to, I'd like to share a video with you so that you can see an example with your own eyes. And in the last weeks, I've, I've tried to describe who some of these people are. This week, I want you to actually see some of these people. And man, as, as we begin watching this video here in just a second, which it focuses primarily on the idea of child labor and what's called bonded labor. I, I think it'd be helpful if I explain what bonded labor is because I don't actually think it's a very well-known concept. But, but what happens in many countries, especially many third world countries, is that families, they're in desperate need of money. And, and so someone comes along and says, hey, I'll, I will loan you that money. I, that's just the kind of guy I am. And you can just work that thing off over time, no problem. What happens is, is that they never pay them enough to actually pay the debt. And families are literally held captive for generations, all in the name of this one-time loan that they will never allow them to pay back. So that's what bonded labor is. And we're going to see a little bit of that uh, here this morning in this video. So with that said, let's, let's watch it. 26, we, we see God graphically lay this thing out for us. And here's what it says. Some of you are familiar with this verse. Listen. And that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Would you think about that verse for just a second? That verse teaches us that it's the will of Satan to hold men and women and boys and girls captive spiritually. It's his will to do that. And while that's his will, according to Luke 4.18 that we started off this service reading, it's the will of Jesus that they be delivered from that captivity. Released out of that snare but look at how Satan holds these people captive in that verse. It says it's, it's in the snare of the devil. And, and, and I, I want to take a couple minutes to look at the snares that the devil uses so that we can make this 21st century identification of who these captives in the world really are. So let's look at some of these things. What are these snares that the devil uses. And so first we, we, I want us to see the snare of captivity or the snare of slavery. And, and we were, we'll hopefully see that on the, on the video soon, but we're, we were, we're talking about these bonded slaves, right? We, we've talked about, we talk about victims of sex trafficking. We talk about victims of sexual abuse in our country and around the world. People that are slaves, to somebody else's will. This is how Satan is operating. Another snare Satan uses is the snare of what we could call this morning the snare of negligence. Little boys and girls, they were, they were designed to grow up in a home where they find love and affection from their parents, specifically their fathers. The Bible says that the glory of children are their fathers. And when the fathers mess that thing up and they're negligent of their responsibilities, Satan uses that thing as a snare. It leads some towards mental illness. 
it leads some towards prostitution, some issues with gender and sexuality, some into gang activity, and they're empty inside because of negligence. It's a snare. And, and, and we look at some of the people in those groups that I just mentioned, and, and we, we can tend to be repulsed by them. And we don't see that they're in a snare held captive by Satan at his will. Next is the snare of addictions, we could call it. The devil holds people captive to addictions, drugs and alcohol and pornography and many, many other things. We've got the snare of religion. You guys remember the Pharisees in the Bible, of course, because... The Pharisees, they thought that they were more righteous than other people. They thought they were okay, and so they wouldn't come to Jesus. Then you've got the legalism part of this whole thing, right? People create a man-made, works-based system, and it's a snare that Satan uses to hold them captive. Then there's countless false systems of religion that just make people think that they're okay when they're really not. And Satan has them in a snare. And then next, the, the snare of money or the snare of economics. And this is an interesting dynamic at play, the snare that Satan uses here. There, there, there's two extremes with this thing. On one side, you've got absolute poverty, like a good portion of the world lives in. No money, no job, no food, no shelter. We, most of us know nothing of that. We may have had hard times financially, but most of us know nothing of this extreme. Just trying to exist day by day, they're held captive in the snare of poverty or of economics. And then we've got the other extreme, and I think we may be a little more familiar with this side than we are with that side, and it's materialism. People that are held captive in a snare to comfort to pleasure, to money, to self, to this world system. It's a trap. It's a snare. And we got to get out, y'all. And it holds most people in our day and age, in our country, it holds us captive. And because we're held captive by materialism, the rest of the world is held captive in slavery, in negligence, in addictions, and false religion, and poverty. And what we're trying to do this morning and what I'm trying to get us to do is to just get up on that mountaintop. Get out of that fair garden for a minute. Get on that mountaintop and, and look out over the world and see this thing globally. But, but not just globally. We want to see this thing locally too. Somehow we've got to get the spiritual eyes to see it. Jesus says to us Laodiceans, anoint your eyes with eye salve so you can see there's something you're not seeing. So we can see that there are captives all around us. And when we go to the gas station, there's people there that are held captives. When we go to school, we see people that are captives. When we go to work tomorrow, we see people that are poor and brokenhearted people that are captives, and because of who we are as the body of Christ, 
we're anointed with the Spirit of God, and with His filling, we seek to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, and to preach deliverance to the captives. And we've got to make a 21st century identification of who those people are so we can see it, because we're not seeing it. And then secondly, if we're going to have a ministry that's a parallel paradigm to the ministry of Jesus, we must capture God's heart for the captives. We must capture God's heart for the captives. That's number two in your study sheet. This answers the question, why? Why should I concern myself with the captives? And the reason we should concern ourselves with the captives is because that's where the heart of God is. It's with those people. They, you know, you, you see and hear of, of these types of things, this captivity, this bonded labor, this sex trafficking and sex slavery. You hear of those things and you can't help but think to yourself, where is God in all of that? Right? And that's what the psalmist asks in Psalm 10. Psalm 10, if you could turn, if you have the ability to turn there, please do it. Psalm 10 in verse 1. Psalm 10 in verse 1, the, the psalmist was, was on that same wavelength when he says, Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? <clears throat> there it is on the screen. Awesome. They, Why hidest thyself in times of trouble? Have you ever felt like that? And then the psalmist begins to describe the oppressors. In verse 2, the wicked in his pride doth persecute the poor. Let them be taken in the devices that they have imagined. Verse 7, his mouth is full of cursing and deceit and fraud. Under his tongue is mischief and vanity. He sitteth in the lurking places of the villages. In the secret places doth he murder the innocent. His eyes are privily set against the poor. He lieth in wait secretly as a lion in his den. He lieth in wait to catch the poor. He doth catch the poor when he draweth him into his net. He croucheth and humbleth himself that the poor may fall by his strong ones. I'll give you this money tomorrow, but your daughter will have to work for me for a little while. And here's what the oppressor thinks. He hath said in his heart, God hath forgotten. He hideth his face. He will never see it. But here's what the psalmist believes in verse 14. Thou hast seen it, for thou beholdest mischief and spite to requite it with thy hand. The poor committeth himself unto thee, Thou art the helper of the fatherless. And here's his plea in verse 15. Break thou the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Seek out his wickedness till thou, fi- till, till thou find none. And listen to the promise in verses 17 and 18. Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. Thou wilt prepare their heart. Thou will cause thine ear to hear, to judge the fatherless. He uses this word judge a lot in this context. It's essentially meaning bring justice to the fatherless and the oppressed. 
that the man of the earth may no more oppress. That's the heart of the Lord for the captives. Psalm 35.10, the psalmist says, Who is like unto thee which delivereth the poor from him that is too strong for him? Yea, the poor and the needy from him that spoileth him. O God, who is like you? Psalm 22.24 Psalm 22.24 For he hath not despised nor abhorred the the afflicted of the affliction of the afflicted, neither hath he hid his face from him, but when he cried unto him, he heard, he heard. You, you know when when you when you think about God's omniscience, the fact that he knows everything, and when you think about his omnipresence, that he's everywhere at all, at the same time, you can't help but think just how incredible that is until you get up to the mountaintop and you look out over this incredibly bad world and you're forced to realize that because God is omniscient and because He's omnipresent, He has to sit through the sick stuff that goes on. And much worse than I've even detailed here and would detail here from this pulpit when we're talking about sex trafficking and rape of children. He, he grieves, he, he weeps. And you mean to tell me that the God whose heart we've been seeing over the last month doesn't care about those things anymore? He only cared in the first century? And he's detached from those atrocities that are committed all over the world and he doesn't weep over that? How far away do you guys think that we are from being like the days of Noah described in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5? In Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually and it even repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. Because of the omniscience and the omnipresence of God, can you imagine him listening to the children cry? In Psalm 69.33, Psalm 69.33 says, For the Lord heareth the poor and despiseth not his prisoners or captives. Psalm 102.17 it, it, it teaches us the heart of the Lord. It says, He will regard the prayer of the destitute and not despise their prayer. This shall be written for the generation to come, and the people which shall be created shall praise the Lord. For He hath looked down from the height of His sanctuary. From heaven did the Lord behold the earth to hear the groaning of the prisoner, to loose those that are appointed to death. In Psalm 140, in verse 12, the psalmist says, I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and the right of the poor. I know that. But it's one thing for the psalmist to know that and to believe in his heart that God is just and and to believe in his heart that God is good. And it's another thing, and it's, it's, it's one thing for us 
comfortable and cozy as we are in our fair garden to sit around and say, isn't that wonderful? God is just so good. He's so just, isn't he? But can I ask you this morning, how are these victims, these captives that we're talking about, these bonded labor, these sex trafficking, how are they ever supposed to believe it when they hear somebody say, God is good? How are they supposed to hear that? What are they supposed to think when they think that when they hear that there's a God out there that hates injustice and he's good? God says, I've got a heart for those captives. And you know what else? He's got a plan. He's he's got a beautiful plan. And the way it works is his plan to see him delivered happens to be us. And do you know what plan B is? There is no plan B. It's us. So what that tells us is if we're ever going to have a ministry to a, to a, that's a parallel paradigm to the Lord, we most definitely have to do number three. That's develop a biblical attitude towards the captives. Develop a biblical attitude towards the captives um did we get the volume working it sounded like okay before i get into point three let's do that let's do let's do that video now that we're it seems like we're up and running you know i think we all we all grew up on um videos like that with sarah mclaughlin playing in the background and i and I think as a result of that, I think we've kind of gotten numb to it. You know, it's kind of like that comes on the TV. Turn it. You know, I don't want to see it. And this is obviously, man, this is a this is a PG rated version of what I can even show when I try to describe a 21st century example of captives, you know. Um, and, and of course, it, 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 and it's just to show and I wanted you to actually see it instead of me just describing it because this is the type of stuff that goes on every, all over the place y'all and what i'm trying to get us to do is to see these people and to get a heart for the same people that jesus had a heart for back in luke chapter 4 and verse 18 because the plan to reach these people the plan is is us we're the, we're the plan we are the body of christ now the, the other body ascended into heaven, and, they, and he gave us the same mission that he had. And now he looks at us, and he says, they're to see my love through you now. Okay, so we, were, we were, had just gotten into to number three on our outline, develop a biblical attitude toward the captives. Develop a biblical attitude towards the captives. This, this answers the question, what? What is to be my attitude toward the captives? Now, now make sure you don't miss this. God has a plan to show the oppressed of the world that he is good and that he, he cares and he has a plan to stop the oppression. But what we've got to come to grips with is that ministry is to be carried out through us. That's the plan. I mean, isn't that what Jesus was even saying in Matthew chapter 5 
in verse 13. Look at what look at what he says. He says he's talking about this world being corrupt and he's talking about it being dark. And in, and in verse 13, Jesus says, ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? You're the plan. There is no plan B. If we don't do it, who's going to do it? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. God sent us out into the dark world, y'all, and he sent us out as light and he sent us out as salt. And, and when we come along and we see someone who has no food, we see that it's a picture of their starving souls that desperately needs the gospel. But so that we can get them to, to glorify God through the gospel, we give them the food they need for their stomachs. So they see our good works and they say, God is good. And they glorify Him. And when we go into this world that we've been commanded to go into all of, and there's never been a generation that was more equipped to go into all of it than the, this one right here from a transportation standpoint, we have over a billion people that don't have access to any medical care. And I don't mean that their insurance got hiked up and they can't afford it anymore. I mean, when their kids get an infection, they don't have medicine to treat it at all. You know how you feel when your kids are sick? I know how I feel when mine are. Imagine not being able to call the doctor or go down the road to get some sort of medicine or nutrition. And you watch your kid die over a simple infection that could have been treated. And we're sent to the world and we bring them the medicine that they need so they can see our good works and understand what we mean when we say there's a good God out there and he loves you. And they believe it because they see him work through his people. Maybe we, we do what we can to help people whose homes have been destroyed by natural disaster. And we seek to do what we can to provide them shelter and we tell them about a good God who lives in people, who are, who's living through us, and that's why we're here, and we care. And they see our good works, and they glorify our Father in heaven. I, and I know, man, this is, this is heavy stuff, y'all. I, I know, it has been weighing on me. It, it's a whole lot better in the fair garden but will you just keep hanging out with me in, in the mountaintop for a little longer and listen to God as he communicates his heart to us in the book of Isaiah? And in Isaiah chapter 1, Isaiah, is re, he's rebuking God's people and, and he writes to them. Interestingly enough, he writes to them about this spiritual world that they've created for themselves. And they do all their duties, but they're missing the point. Are you hearing that? That's what Isaiah, listen, God says through Isaiah in verse 11 of chapter 1, 
To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he-goats. When ye come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hateth. They are trouble unto me. I'm weary to bear them. Listen, y'all. Here's what I want to make sure you're seeing in this passage. Everything that God just said in this passage that he hates are all the things he said he wanted. Did you notice that as I was reading it? What do you what do you mean? God commanded him to make sacrifices and God commanded him to observe all the feasts. That was his idea. And here they are doing all the things that God wanted, but they missed the point. In verse 15 of Isaiah chapter 1, then he says, And when you spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash you, make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Verse 17, learn to do well. The way it works in modern day Christianity is we have put away the evil of our life and we think we're spiritual and we're holy now because of the things we don't do anymore. And that's wonderful that we don't do those. That trash was going to ruin your life anyway. But what do we do? What do I do? What do you do? What do we do? Learn to do well. God says, what do you mean, God? Verse 17, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge your justice for the fatherless, plead for the widow. And then after you've done all that, then go back and offer me all that worship that I told you to offer me. In verse 18, God says, can we just reason together about this whole thing? Like, Is this that hard? Doesn't that just make sense that we hop off of our spiritual high horses because we know a lot about the Bible and we begin to ask ourselves why it is that the description of what God says we ought to be learning to do never crosses our mind? Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. Micah 6, 8. He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee. God says, I know it's a big book, so I'm going to make this thing simple. Here's how to do good and to do what's required of you. To do justly, or carry out that which is just, and to love mercy, because you're going to need to display that a bunch. And instead of thinking higher of yourself than you ought to think, walk humbly with that God. In Matthew chapter 23 and verse 23, Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees because of hypocrisy. And, and what Jesus shows them is that they'd given attention 
to all the little minute details of spirituality as they viewed it, while the bigger and weightier matters of true spirituality were nowhere to be found. And, and Jesus describes these weightier matters. He just, judgment or justice, mercy and faith. Sounds a lot like what we saw in Micah. In Ezekiel chapter 22, Ezekiel chapter, chapter 22, Ezekiel says that, that the, the, he says, the word of the Lord came unto me. That's what he said in verse 1. And then, and, and then in verse 25, here's some of what the Lord said and came to him. There's a conspiracy of her prophets in the midst thereof, like a roaring lion ravening the prey. They have devoured souls. They've taken the treasure and precious things. They have made her many widows in the midst thereof. He comes down to verse 29, Ezekiel twenty-two twenty-nine, and he says, The people of the land have used oppression and exercised robbery and have vexed the poor and the needy. Yea, they have oppressed the stranger wrongfully. And listen to what God says in verse 30. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge. In other words, that would be the defense of the oppressed of this world and stand in the gap for me in the land that I should not destroy it. But would you listen? But I found none. And I, and I wonder if God looks down at us in the, in the midst of the world that we're living in in this day and age. And he, he looks for an individual or He looks for a body of believers that'll make up the hedge, that'll be the defense, that'll stand in the gap. You just wonder if God doesn't look down and just say, I, I can't find anybody. I can't find any church that'll take the focus off of self long enough to stand in the gap. Maybe it's the same way in our day as it was in Solomon's. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 1, Solomon says, So I returned and I considered all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And we've only considered a few of them this morning. And, and, and I behold the tears of such as were oppressed, and they had no comforter. And on the side of their oppressors there was power, but they, the oppressed, had no comforter. But there's good news. God has a plan for the oppressed of the world. God is saying, I want to use you. But you know what? We don't really typically view that as really good news, do we? Not me. That sounds, that sounds a little inconvenient. I'm pretty busy right now. Not me. I don't, I don't even have the gifting for that. What gifts? We're just talking about heart. What gifts are necessary to see the affliction and the oppression in the world and see the captives of the world and actually care? What gift do you need for that? If we're going to have a ministry that's a parallel paradigm to the ministry of Jesus, we must make a 21st century identification of who they are, see that they're all around us locally and globally, and we've got a responsibility for both, but we also need to capture Jesus' heart. 
We need to develop a biblical attitude and understand that His plan is us. And then lastly, we need to follow Jesus' example in ministering to the captives. Number four, we need to follow Jesus' example in ministering to the captives. This answers the question, how? How are we to carry out this ministry? In in letter A, like Jesus, we must be passionate against evil and yet compassionate toward its victims. We must be passionate against evil, and yet compassionate toward its victims. It's one thing to sit back and, and look at the issue, let's just say, look at the issue of, 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 of AIDS around the world. It's easy to look back at that thing and say, man, if they'd just behave themselves, that wouldn't happen. When the reality is, is if we grew up the same way that these people grew up in these third world countries, there'd be a lot of us that have AIDS too. Where's the compassion? Remember that woman that got caught red-handed in the act of adultery? The Pharisees grab her and run and bring her in front of, in front of Jesus. Says, hey, the law says to stone her. What do you say, Jesus. He says, let whoever doesn't have any sin, you cast the first stone. You get us started off. Nobody says anything, and Jesus says, go and sin no more. Is Jesus condoning and taking a soft stance on sin? No, he said, go and sin no more, but I'm not going to condemn you because I know how you got where you are, and I want to love you out of that into a relationship with the Father. Next, letter B, like Jesus, we must place ourselves in the skin and in the bonds of those who have been taken captive. Like Jesus, we must place ourselves in the skin and in the bonds of those who have been taken captive. Last week, we we touched on a verse in, in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 3. And here's what it here's what it says. Remember them that are in bonds as bound with them and them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body or as like that's happening to you put yourself in their shoes put yourself in their skin and feel the chains of the bonds that they find themselves in that's what jesus did hebrews chapter 2 in verse 14 For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power over death, that is, the devil. That's what Jesus did. You see what it says that he did, y'all? He came and he put on our skin and he felt what we feel and he died and literally became sin for us. And now he says, Now that I've done that, will you remember and put yourself in their skin, those that are in bonds? If you are one of those kids in that video today and you're in America and you have the ability to possibly do something, how long would you want people to remember? Would you want them to get it to the point where they put themselves in your skin and felt the bonds that hold you captive? Let her see. Like Jesus, we must allow our Father to use us to be the answers to the cries of children 
women and families who are being held in bondage. Like Jesus, we must allow our Father to use us to be answers to the cries of children, women and families who are being held in bondage. That's why Jesus came. He says, that's why I've been anointed. That's why he sent me to preach deliverance to the captives. And you can watch all through Jesus' ministry. And they cry out and Jesus answers the prayer. And listen, y'all. God wants to use us in our surrounding counties to reach people that are crying out for something that they don't even know what they're crying out about. And we've got the answer and God can use us. And, and, and you know, has it ever has it crossed y'all's mind that maybe the reason that God led us into this study was because he heard the cries of people that he knew we could reach if we just had the heart to do it. And maybe God said, you know what, I think I can trust that group. And I'll use them to be the answer to the cries that are coming to me from people that are being held captive by Satan at his will, whatever snare it happens to be. God wants to use you. And, of course, he wants to, to use this body, but he wants to use you. God, God has good works that he wants to see through you. Not, not for salvation. Good works can't get you to heaven. But now that you've got the assurance of heaven, work like crazy. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works. And as a result, they glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus, we, we thank you for your heart, God, because we were all captives before, too. We were captives in different ways. We were all captives spiritually at some point, God, and there's all, people all over the world that you want to show your love for that are still captive in some other way, and very likely they're also captive spiritually, too. And God, would you, would you give us a heart like yours? These are the people that you said you came to reach. And I feel like we've forgotten about them, God. Lord, of course we want to get to their spiritual needs. Lord, but you, you've called us to love on them in other ways too so that we can share that spiritual need so that they can know and you administer through us so they can know there is a good God in heaven that loves them. I pray, God, that we could be that group, that we could be those people, that you would show us opportunities, God, where, we can, where that can flesh itself out. And I pray you would put people in our lives that you can use us in their life, God. Maybe you've heard their cry and you put us in front of them for just such an occasion to be that.